Kurosawa at the time, he was really like financially struggling and really um, having a hard time getting financing for his films. And he was trying to um, make this uh, sort of like epic adventure movie um, called Kajamusha. So uh, Francis and his BFF, George Lucas. Do you like apples? Kirsten Dunst and Sofia Coppola are like one of the great actor-director collaborations. Right. And I was thinking about it, and Kirsten Dunst is only in, I think, three of her movies, which I know right. she doesn't have that extensive of a filmography, but in my brain, she's just in all of them. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, I think it's her, especially because so much of her films are um, so much about womanhood. I mean, that just feels like the more natural response. But there's something like so um, almost iconic about Bill Murray's uh, performance in Lost in Translation, too. So mm-hmm. eh, you could say either, I guess. Yeah, you could say either. I think they've kind of switched off, they being Bill Murray and Kirsten Dunst of uh, obviously, Birds and Suicide started off uh, Sophia's directing career, and that's Kirsten Dunst straight into uh, Lost in Translation, and then I believe Marie Antoinette after that. Um, mm-hmm. And then you kind of have a couple of movies that I think are also great um, without either of those actors. So um, I'm interested to see as we talk more where Lost in Translation fits in for both of us because. Um, this is the movie, my, it was my only missing movie from watching Sofia Coppola's movies. So I finally was able to um, round her out. And yeah, I'm not quite sure where it lands. I, I know I really enjoyed it. It's much quieter than uh, I expected it to be. Um, I've just kind of, her opening movie with Bill Murray, I kind of expected to be um, poppy like Marie Antoinette or um, a lot of her other big poppy movies like the bring wing bling ring but it was so quiet and bill murray yeah i don't know if this is when he fully began to transition into a more serious actor or not he obviously has had pretty iconic performances way before sofia coppola but um i don't know if many other directors can rein bill murray in quite like sofia can and i don't think there's a director that understands bill murray better than than sofia so um kirsten does feels more linked to Sophia in my mind, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like every time I think Sophia might not be able to capture a certain vibe with a certain actor, um, Bill Murray's a quintessential surprise. I'm like, oh, she knows Bill Murray. I didn't quite expect them to work so well together, but um, I've really loved both of the, all the collaborations she's, she's done with those two actors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's always like some question with Bill Murray too of like, is he capital A acting or is it just more <laughs> of an extension of his normal persona? Because when you watch him in interviews and like behind the scenes footage and all that, yeah. it's kind of like, where does Bill Murray stop and his character begin? But mm-hmm. he's so good at employing that in ways that uh, really fit the character and the script of whatever movie he's doing. And I, I think you're right. She really like harnessed that energy so well for this uh for bob harris and lost in translation yeah this feels like the one where i i don't i didn't associate much of this character with bill murray's 
real life persona, which is what made it so interesting or one of the reasons it made it so interesting on my first watch. Um, yeah, he has some scenes where he's being charismatic, Bill Murray, um, like when he's on the talk show with the, um, who did they say, uh, the Johnny Carson of Japan, oh. just like his interactions with him are, are really interesting. And that feels like Bill Murray um, always allowing himself to be um, in the right element. But overall, this is, yeah, this is, I don't know if the antithesis to Bill Murray is the right answer, but he's so restrained in a way that I've never seen Bill Murray be restrained. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's like that disaffected part of him that you see sometimes that I think uh, is very good in um, that aloofness that his character feels with most of the people in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's kind of an asshole to everybody except for <laughs> um, Charlotte, the Scarlett Johansson character. But then when he's with right. her, he's really like uh, playful and fun. And even like earlier today, I was watching um, some uh, Criterion features on Moonrise Kingdom for something mm-hmm. else I'm working on. And everybody was just like, yeah, Bill just like plays around. He's like teaching us how to play golf and he's so fun. <laughs> and there's kind of those two sides to him that are um, married so well in this movie and it's so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a good sending off point into our uh, kind of formally introducing you and the series. Um, for anybody that hasn't jumped into our August series called Misdirections, uh, Drew and I have picked five movies for the month of August uh, from famous directors who have movies coming out later in 2023. Um, uh, we just, I just recorded earlier today, Katie, uh, Suspiria with uh, Joshua Ray. Okay. And uh, that's the one where I haven't seen, and I haven't seen Lost in Translation, whereas Drew um, also hadn't seen Suspiria, but has seen Lost in Translation. But Drew can't make it today. And uh, today we have Katie Carter with us. Uh, Katie has a blog called Katie at the Movies. She's a member of OAFFC, the International Film Society and Critic Circle. And I, would, I didn't know what to call you exactly, author or editor, but I've seen you plug some books over the the years that we've been uh, talking about movies. Uh, so she's done a lot. Um, and we're really excited to have her again, uh, work with Do You Like Apples, but for the first time on the podcast. So uh, we're glad to have you here, Katie. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. No, it's excited to um, see you guys branch out into this. Uh, I think your newsletter is probably one of the only emails that I consistently open. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. So yeah, Katie, you've, you've talked about many, um, I feel like, uh, uh, genres or, uh, subject matter movies that when Drew and I try to talk about those things and we feel uncomfortable talking about it, uh, we, we like to bring you in for those specific conversations. And even though I feel really adept at talking about Sofia Coppola, um, I felt strange that this was the main movie that I hadn't seen, um, I don't know if it if this is for you what you think of when you think of Sofia Coppola, but I think most casual moviegoers, if they haven't delved into uh, much of her career, have probably seen Lost in Translation. And yeah, it's really accessible. Um, I, I found it really easy to digest. Um, what's your relationship with Lost in Translation? Yeah, well, I think I mentioned before, this is one of my favorite movies. And mm-hmm. it was the first of her movies that I knowingly watched. Um, I did watch Marie Antoinette in a high school history class. (laughs) 
so that happened. Um, but this was one that I actually sought out and I was trying to think back on exactly the first viewing experience because I was pretty when I first really got into film, like uh, beginning of high school, I was so like kind of hyper-focused on old Hollywood and like that sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, but I think something about the premise of this movie must have intrigued me to seek it out. It was probably like a blockbuster rental or something. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing I do remember is the weekend after I watched it, I went out and bought the DVD because I was like, I love this movie. I know I'm gonna wanna watch it over and over and over again. And um, I think it's just one of those movies, you know, they say um, there are movies that, uh, the movies never change, but your relationship to them changes hmm. over time as you revisit them. And I think this has kind of become something like that for me too, especially because she's exploring similar themes through characters who are in two different points of their lives. One being a young woman who has just recently graduated. She, got married very young she doesn't really know like where she's going with her life and this older man who we can assume from his celebrity has led quite a full life mm -hmm. um but he's you know having some personal and career struggles and is kind of getting to be over the hill and not sure what's coming next um yeah i just i really love revisiting this movie at least every couple of years or so and it's always just so enjoyable to me there's two versions of Sofia Coppola that they always feel linked. She has a very distinct style that mm -hmm. uh, for me, if it's just, it feels like a Sofia Coppola project, but uh, the ones I've graduate, uh, not graduate towards, uh, gravitate towards um, are the, the Virgin Suicides Lost in Translation. And I think the, the Beguiled feels a lot like this movie too. Uh, much quieter, not as poppy. The Virgin Suicides has some pretty iconic needle drops. Um, a lot like Marie Antoinette does, but the serene and um, very, um, uh, not calm, but very smooth transitions to scene to scene, just nothing feels like it's trying to grab you in the obvious sense. And um, as soon as you see Bill Murray in a place like Japan that is a budding metropolis, um, almost feel sci-fi in its nature. I feel like certainly if you saw this in uh, the early 2000s as it came out, Japan just has a unique backdrop that feels sci-fi when it's just living in reality. Um, I think that's what sets this movie in terms of the kind of the calmness of it all. Like, How do you find calm in a budding metropolis like that where it seems like Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray are um, being thrusted up against that chaos that they're just living methodically through at really interesting points in their lives while being completely separate, similar insecurities are, um, are, are shining through with each character. And what's weird about Sophia is that no matter how often she explores that uncertainty of life, um, that maybe should bring anxiety to me because the subject matter matter kind of presents it that way. I never feel anxious when watching Sofia Coppola movies. Um, she just, yeah, she transcends any chaos that she brings into her movies. And I, I generally, no matter, like The Virgin Suicides obviously deals with some really, really dark uh, type of things. And Lost in Translation softens a lot of those similar themes, but makes it really accessible for audiences. And I'm, I'm curious 
as people hoping that they watch along with us before they listen to this, what they'll think is, yeah, each, each of these characters is just in a lost point of life. And even though there's a deep connection with uh, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson, it doesn't seem to send them off with any more certainty. And I found that really interesting. They were just needed each other for that point in time, kind of a, a, a budding romance, but really just a distraction for the three or four days they were together. Um, do you feel that same way about Sophia? Like what, what, what do you like about her as a director? Um, she just brings me a huge sense of calm and unlike any other directors. Yeah. I think all of her movies are kind of quiet in some ways, but in, mm -hmm. in that quietness, there's so much emotional intensity. She's so great at articulating, um, similar themes in all of her movies, even though when you look at her filmography, all of her films in a broad sense seem pretty different. You know, you have like mm -hmm. this movie, it's kind of more like a scrappy indie. Um, and then her very next movie was Marie Antoinette, which is this very like elaborate and carefully designed production. And then The Beguiled is a remake of a 1971 mm -hmm. Don Siegel movie. And then you, know, you have The Bling Ring, all these, all these different uh, kind of widely different projects. But she's great at articulating i think uh loneliness mm -hmm. in a lot of them um uh coming of age and loss of innocence um family dynamics too especially like father and daughter dynamics we see those in um, like on yeah. the rocks and uh somewhere um yeah there's just there's so much uh, power in the images that she creates and the performances that she pulls in so much honesty too. I think, especially when it comes to uh, her depiction of young girls, as so many uh -huh. of her films have either center around or center heavily around like teenagers to younger women. And I think she's spoken before on how she felt that uh, women that age were usually disrespected as an audience. Mm -hmm. And I always get the sense, even with something like the bling ring where you have these uh, teenage girls whose desires we look at them and they seem like pretty vapid and um material based you never get the sense that she's like she treats them seriously you don't get the sense that mm -hmm. she's like making fun of them at all yeah and these these characters have so much room to be uh be made fun of but yeah just like with scarlett johansson's uh, uh character i just she's in such an odd place um I was looking at what, uh, just kind of preemptively trying to find out uh, what your thoughts were. So I looked at your letterboxed um, no. review for it. And uh, I just love the way uh, you talked about a scene early on where Scarlett Johansson's on a, on the phone with what uh, seems like her sister maybe, and is trying to vent about how she just feels lonely in her marriage. Not quite sure if she made the right choice and the person on the other line doesn't even register what Scarlett Johansson is feeling at the moment. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I love the dynamic of why it took an older man in a similar spot to be able to see her accurately. Um, and that those, those flippant moments where there's people um, like for her, just away from her family, away from any type of, uh, uh, familiarity with her life uh, runs not runs to the arm because she's very strong and independent in this movie, but confides in Bill Murray's character. And they have a lot of 
um, yeah, similar touch points in completely different parts of their lives. Um, what, what struck you about that scene in particular that, um, is that what initially drew you into the story of, of Lost in Translation? I don't know if it was that scene or not. I think, I think it is the fact that it is such a quiet movie. And I mean, something that, um, I saw some random internet person long, long time ago say about this film, um, was that it's a movie that introverts understand and they love and extroverts do not. And um, I do think, I mean, there are, this is generally like a, a movie that's pretty well loved, but there are people out there who right. are like, I do not get that movie. I cannot stand that movie. <laughs> and so much of it is just, um, I mean, it's like, I think I clocked, it's like 30 minutes before um, Charlotte and Bob actually like formally meet and have a conversation. And all mm -hmm. that time before that, and even a lot of the movie after that, it's a lot of them just kind of by themselves, eating mm -hmm. alone, like wandering around this hotel that they're stuck at, looking out of windows, wandering around the streets. And uh, as the world's uh, leading expert on living as an introvert, <laughs> I definitely do relate to that quite a bit. And regarding that phone call, you know, there is nothing more frustrating and frankly depressing than when you are trying to articulate those sorts of uh, feelings with somebody else and they're either not hearing you or they're not really willing to hear you. And Bob has kind of similar conversations with his wife who he calls every so often throughout the movie. And, mm -hmm. and, and she also is kind of like, yeah, I, I have to go. Like I got to like take the kids to school, whatever, like we'll talk later, have fun. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's, it's so frustrating to be brushed off like that. And I think the title lost in translation, while it does, on one level referred to the language barrier that they experience uh, between themselves and the inhabitants of Tokyo. It's also about that those issues with communicating with other people on that sort of emotional level. Mm -hmm. And it brings such a weird, like this movie, I think only real technology besides the budding metropolis that is Tokyo, um, are the cell phones used to communicate? And um, I just felt like there was a small comment from Sophia about uh, technology bridging a lot of those gaps that can maybe uh, provide more um, opportunities for connection, but um, ultimately just cheapen those experiences. Um, yeah, like it. what is very apparent in uh, in Lost in Translation for Bob is there's damage to his relationship. Um, the wife is uh, dodging his conversations by maybe his playboy aspects to his life. I mean, he's talking up uh, Charlotte, who's a very young woman. And uh, there's a scene of him uh, cheating on his wife. Um, I couldn't really tell if this, it was supposed to be seen as a common occurrence for, for Bob, or if this was a, uh, a moment of uh, lashing out, but um, whereas Scarlett Johansson, uh, Charlotte, uh, she's at a point where not much of the, that um, scarring in a relationship has really formed yet, but it seems like she's on the precipice of maybe um, sowing those seeds a little bit um, because she's feeling restless and uh, she's uh, talking with Bob and yeah, I'm just, how that uncertainty plays throughout technology 
uh, has to be one of the first movies that that I can remember in the indie scene, at least that uh, quietly reckons with it, it. It's not them making a comment on technology, but weaving a technology so seamlessly that I think, um, yeah, just it, it it made the whole story feel so lonely because you never get the full face of the people that they're trying to confide in. Um, so it really is just a story about these two lonely people. And even though you, you sense of a life for them and clear happiness for them at points, it just, it's being washed away through the lens of, uh, the, or the, the audio waves of a cell phone. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never, uh, actually thought about that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's true. You know, you lose so much of that, um, ability to really communicate sincerely when you're in one country and someone else is in another country and you're just communicating uh, through a phone line. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, to get into just some other of the, my favorite parts of the movie, um, I haven't seen Anna Ferris in a uh, mm. quite so indie movie in a long, long time. Um, I think she kind of, in some ways broke out as a, at least was given some uh, legitimacy maybe as an actress throughout this movie. Um, I was, I was just not surprised at how funny she was cause she's so funny in so many other things, but I had no idea she was in this movie and just yeah. uh, a surprising performance. Um, yeah. You, you see a lot of actresses of like the caliber of Anna Faris showing up in Sophia movies. Um, they tried with Emma Watson to uh, be, let this be a launching off point for um, for her career. Um, and then you have ScarJo. Uh, she's just been in the industry for so long, I wonder. Um, but she doesn't feel like a Sophia actress to me. Like she, she has, gives a, a really famous performance in this movie, but. Yeah, um, I mean, doesn't... this was like really like her breakout lead role, I think, because I mean, she's playing a woman who's in her early twenties, but she was right. only 17 when they filmed this. Oh, really? Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. she seems so much more mature than that. I mean, I completely buy her as uh, the character that she's playing. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But it's this really like great natural performance. Like I was going through her filmography earlier, trying to like figure out like where else have I really like liked her this much. And <laughs> right. I feel like this is it. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I, well, I guess she's not in her, she is in her in a huge, huge way, but, um, what, I don't know if it, I, they may have shot that in Japan too. I can't remember where they shot her. Um, but I know it, it's set or at least was filmed in an, Asian country. So it has a lot of commonality with uh, that with me. And um, you kind of get yeah, the she's like a she's married in the movie. So she's not like a, a vixen type character that her kind of gives her the opportunity to play with just her voice. But yeah, she feels like you said, she you completely buy her as this older, early to mid 20s character. Um, she sounds a lot different. Her raspiness of mm-hmm. her voice that is so iconic isn't fully formed yet. So I didn't, yeah, almost didn't register right away. It did because I knew it was Scarlett Johansson, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at her filmography too right now, and yeah, I think I really love Under the Skin. Um, I find her actually the, still haven't seen that. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah, maybe you got to yeah. do your own series, and we'll. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> we'll <laughs> we'll jump on for that. But yeah, there's Don. Yeah, there's Don John that I think she's pretty solid in. Um, but yeah, this is just 
yeah, I haven't really thought of her, like what would she be without this movie? But yeah, I, I think you're right. This is the breakout for, um, for her. And I feel like where were, do you know, do you remember where Bill Murray's career was at when, uh, Lost in Translation came out? Have you been able to like provide any context of where he was at? Cause I don't know if this was like a Murray Renaissance or anything, but I, I, I don't really remember a lot of him, uh, before this moment one, just cause I was a nineties kid and wasn't fully privy to Ghostbusters right away. But, um, yeah. Do you have any idea of where Bill was at the time of making this movie? I think this was kind of like the big transition point in his career where he did start to kind of go from more of these um, just comedic roles to dramatic ones or ones that at least more blended comedy with drama. I mean, he did do Rushmore before this, which I feel like is sort of in a similar vein. That's, of course, a a supporting role, but uh, he's fantastic. Much creepier in uh, in Rushmore. (laughs) Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I kind of go between favorite performance of his for me it's either this one or Rushmore I can't decide yeah. um but yeah I mean he was nominated for Golden Globe I mean he got like nominated for a lot of awards for this I know and and people really singled him out as like wow he's he, I mean he's funny still but he really sells those kind of more um uh, serious dramatic moments too in a way that I think surprised a lot of people when this movie first came out yeah, I mean, it had to have because it looks like maybe before that, obviously, like I think he was may have been nominated for Tootsie when he was a really young actor. I know he's in that and had a separated himself just from the being an SNL extension. Um, obviously, Groundhog Day came out a little bit before this. I mean, not just a little bit, but like 10 years or so. But anyways, yeah, it just he had always been creeping into those areas and but hadn't fully convinced I think Hollywood and Hollywood audiences that um quite that he had I don't know if this range because he's still playing himself um Mm -hmm. his persona but yeah he fully gets integrated into um Wes Anderson after this point obviously he had Rushmore beforehand but um yeah gets gets uh, Steve Zissou that was actually my original um, one of my original prompts was who do you associate Bill Murray with more? Um, uh, Sophia Coppola or Wes Anderson? I think but then Wes I could have, yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. But like <laughs> you could kind of throw Jim Jarmusch in there. He's worked with him a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just sneaky works with some of the same directors over and over again. And I don't think, at least I don't think of him as that type of actor, maybe more with Wes Anderson than anybody but he's just a really interesting figure in Sophia's career. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, she so, wrote this movie for him. I don't know. Right. Uh, if you, I've, I feel like I've heard not, that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, he's like famously hard to get a hold of because he doesn't have an agent. He just has <laughs> an 800 number that you call and leave a voicemail, but then he never checks the voicemail. That is incredible. Um, and I think there's some uh, criticism of Sofia Coppola is the fact that she does come, I mean, she comes from Hollywood royalty. So of she, course, right. She has all of these ends in the industry before she even really got started that most uh, up and coming filmmakers w- wouldn't have. And mm-hmm. I think she circumvented that a lot in her work. But I think it, it, when it came to uh, getting Bill Murray for this movie, I think that is where 
those connections that she already had really were a benefit to her because she went to like, I think it was the screenwriter for Scrooged uh, and like showed him the screenplay and like he got it to <laughs> Bill. And then she also like got to Wes and like Wes set up a dinner and oh my that gosh. they were able to convince Bill to do the movie, but then he never signed a contract. So he just kind of had to take his word for it that he was going to show up in Japan when they told him to. Um, but I think, I think once he seems like the kind of actor, like once you do like get a hold of him and find that you all work well together, he will come back and over and over and over again to work with you as we've seen with her and also with Wes Anderson and some of these other directors. Yeah. And so yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, I wonder why. I mean, it's Bill Murray, so I mean, there's obviously a lot of built-in reasons for why you would want to work with him. Um, I find it funny that uh, she chose the screenwriter of Scrooge. I'm sure they're just friends, or maybe Sophia Coppola is yeah. <laughs> is just a big Scrooge fan and just uh, sought him out. <laughs> I mean, it's that movie's. I watched that's a movie where when I watched that for the first time, I, I know a few diehards of of Scrooge, and I. That was a miss for me. I could not get into it. It's <laughs> such a mean movie. Whereas, it is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, super mean. And just, yeah, seeing him be that awful. And then I wouldn't say his character, Bob, in uh, Lost in Translation is uh, a good character by any means. But um, Bill Murray has that softer side that uh, brings in natural trust. Um, whether you should have that for Bill Murray or Bill Murray's characters. Um, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure of... Yeah, the, the relationship felt so natural that any any questions of um, the older aspects uh, of Bob with Charlotte didn't feel like a thing that worried me when I was watching the movie, which when there's this much time in between um, hearing it's a classic, that was one of the things that stood out just from the poster. I'm like, I'm not sure how much of a love story this is, but will I be worried about it when I start watching the movie? And no, it, it at least it didn't bother me. Um, the movie didn't seem very interested in trying to sparse if this was an appropriate or inappropriate relationship. So I tried not to, as I got into the movie, not uh, not to fully dwell on that so much. But it it, it felt um, uh, platonic enough where I wasn't fully taken out of the story. Well, and I I think. Um... It, what, one of the nice things about this movie is that it does sidestep all of those romantic cliches and you can easily mm -hmm. see at so many points where it could have fallen into those. Um, I, I think this is a love story. I don't think it's a romance. I think no, that yeah. they love each other. I don't think they're in love with each other. I think Sophia mm -hmm. herself articulated it as um, they're more than friends, but it's less than a love affair. So there's they share this intense bond um, but it doesn't really uh, go into this sort of romantic plane, even though right. there are a lot of people who do read this movie that way too. And even um, to talk about the ending, uh, which mm -hmm. I love where uh, they, they're saying goodbye and Bob whispers something in Charlotte's ear and yeah. we cannot hear. Um, and I think the only thing that Bill Murray has ever said, they won't say, exactly what it is but he just said it's between lovers i think that was yeah explanation <laughs> for what he told her gosh bill murray is so good at that type of teasing i feel like yeah i mean uh. i'm so glad that it hasn't come out yet because when that happened that's like a yeah that's that's a trick that you don't see a director pull very often that you would 
maybe if you turned it up loud enough, you might be able to hear. I had the subtitles on just like, uh, I just totally forgot that they were on it. It even doesn't list out what it says. It yeah, it just says, was like uh, whispering with, indistinctly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, come on, yeah. I wanted to hear it. So I, I will uh, tell you, when I first watched this movie back in the day, I was like, really like trying to get into the like conspiracy theories like on YouTube, like watching these videos where people are like trying to crank up the volume and like the yeah. what it says. <laughs> and because I was like, I, I have to know, I have to know. And now I'm at the point where like, I. I, I don't need to know. I, I think their actions speak louder than the words ever will. Um, I forget what I had flagged it and I already forgot what it was, like what the what exactly the phrase the like digitally enhanced audio says that it is. But um but yeah, yeah, and I don't think it was originally supposed to play out that way either. I think that you were supposed to be able to hear what he said and it was just mm -hmm. one of the like many like uh struggles that they had filming this movie on location and working um you know with the audio and and all of that in the street because they were filming without permits they were just kind of it was almost like yeah. guerrilla filmmaking trying to like get in and out as quickly as possible when they were doing these street scenes and i think it just ended up playing out that way but i can't imagine the movie ending any other way no it, it's a brilliant ending especially for a young director to pull out a stop of, uh, yeah, I don't know if mystery is the right word, but uncertainty in a story like this that feels, uh, I know I had a desire to have more confidence in where both of these characters were sent off to. Um, when you were describing how um, there are characters that are in love, but it's not romantic. Um, I, one of the things I found when it first happened, I thought I, I didn't necessarily trust where Sophia was going to take it, but uh, when Bill Murray sleeps with the singer at the hotel and Scarlett Johansson comes to the room and notices that it's happening, you can tell she's hurt by that interaction. Um, and I just thought that it was going to, the fireworks are going to open up. The argument was going to happen between Bill and Scarlett and, uh, and Charlotte. And uh, it didn't happen. It was clear hurt, but understanding that like this can't go any further for them. Um, but that resolution of their friendship, a love affair uh, was able to still happen despite clear hurt and, but uh, obvious surrender from Scarlett Johansson from Charlotte um, that she's like, Oh, what is there to be mad about when this connection wasn't romantic in the first place either? I, I found that really interesting how they decided to handle that. Like you said, subverted the romantic comedy, not a romantic comedy, the romance story um, aspect where you, you expect a character, this relationship maybe to take like a marriage story type and, uh, projection if you're talking about another love affair story with uh with scarlett johansson where she's able to fully verbalize and scream out that hurt whereas this one it was i, I thought we were about to get there and get a much louder movie at some mm -hmm. point but yeah. wasn't able to and i that restraint with those characters was unique in that way um i i, yeah. just, I found that scene really rewarding yeah, I love that there's no sort of explosive confrontation over it. They just have like this extremely awkward lunch. And then when right. they meet later during that, uh, like when the fire alarm goes off in the hotel and they meet up outside, they're just like, <laughs> that lunch was terrible. And then yeah, they're, exactly. they're fine and they're fine again. Yeah, like, and what a great, I don't know if that was impro improvised or not, but Bill Murray says, yeah, I can't believe they make us cook your own food or whatever. And I was like, <laughs> that's some good Bill Murray uh comedic acting right there um yeah that this movie came out after as i was talking about the scene i was uh, I, i've only ever really seen one other obvious example of restraint with lovers and that's in the mood for love 
and that uh yeah the, there's a lot of similarities now that i've talking about it out loud for the first time that it's okay. <laughs> i have something to say about this okay. okay i have this book here okay yeah it's Sophia Coppola, Forever Young, which is a book that came out last year. It's by yeah. Hannah Strong, who is a, a critic for um, the magazine Little White Lies. And okay. um, it's a really gorgeous book um, and really insightful. Uh, if anyone out there, uh, not to turn this into a commercial, but if you like <laughs> me, uh, spend as much time reading about movies as you do actually watching them, it's well worth picking up. But she has a book kind of structured, uh, not chronologically, but she goes through Sophia's filmography um, with the movies grouped by theme. And she mm -hmm. has uh, Lost in Translation filed under Love and Loneliness. Okay. And at the end of each chapter, uh, she pulls some influences. And one of those, uh, the one that she picks for uh, Lost in Translation is In the Mood for Love, oh, which wow. is also yeah. another one of my favorite movies. So clearly mm -hmm. I have a type. But I had never, I had never like made that connection before. But I guess um, when Sophia won the Oscar for original screenplay for this movie, she mm -hmm. thanked a few directors who um, she found influential, and Wong Kar Wai was one of them. And I think when you uh, look at, at those two movies, you, there are a lot of similarities that I just never considered until I read that, you know, right down to the ending, you know, in the mood for love right. ends with him like whispering in the whole, oh, yeah. what he says, you know. Oh gosh, yeah. this should have been the opening prompt because yeah. I feel like we could go into a walk for why <laughs> deep dive. Uh -huh. I've, I have his uh, Criterion box set and it's a really- Oh, do you have the box set? I do, jealous. yeah. Yeah, it was a gift okay. from a from a friend and it was a, a great gift. So yeah, it's super cool. Um, yeah. I think we have ideas for future podcasts um, and future <laughs> writings with do you like apples because yeah Walker Y is uh, yeah one of those uh, no miss directors that kind of Sophia is for me as well um, a smaller filmography that um, yeah there's not much variance of high or low it's just all yeah all hits no miss three and a half yeah all, all like fours uh -huh. or above so if you want to uh -huh. rank them all or anything like that but uh, before uh, we wrap things up um priscilla's coming out later this year um interesting to think of it being compared i think it'll be obviously very different than baz Luhrmann's elvis um every one every five or so years i'm sure there's always an example each year but you've you, you see two movies kind of automatically lend themselves to being compared to um each other um yeah what what are you anticipating for priscilla um, I'm assuming for both of us, we'll just inherently like it more than Elvis. Um, even though I liked Elvis a decent amount, um, um, it's just just seeing an Elvis story from a director like, I guess Priscilla Presley's story from a director like Sophia, has me really excited. Um, so yeah, what what a uh, what are you anticipating about Priscilla, if if anything? Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone was going to tell this story, it's Sophia. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I think I said earlier, she's uh, so great at bringing to life these stories about uh, adolescent women. And I mm -hmm. don't know if a lot of people are really aware of how young Priscilla was when she began her relationship with Elvis. She was 14 mm -hmm. and he was 24 when they met. Okay. So you're already starting out in very thorny territory with those two. And I think if anyone's going to navigate that with the sort of delicacy and empathy that it should be then it's Sophia so mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see it and, and also see maybe like what kind of visual flourishes that she imbues it with uh, the teaser trailer 
that is out uh, reminded me like maybe a bit of like Marie Antoinette or, or, mm. you know, a lot of her previous movies with, you know, all the like pastel colors and, you know, like very like feminine colors and energy. So, yeah, I think if we were not getting new Scorsese this year, this would probably <laughs> be, probably be what would be my most anticipated movie for the rest of this year. Yeah. It's, it's definitely up there for me. Um, obviously like um, all the other movies coming out later this year, we, we hope they don't get pushed for uh, our own pleasure. Um, but obviously, um, when we talked about, I talked about Tisperia with Joshua Ray, um, right after we planned talking about Tisperia, they moved uh, Challengers, uh, oh. Luca Guadagnino's movie to 2024. So kind of screwed up the connection that we all, uh, we were trying to connect throughout this whole series. <laughs> but I, I love Lost in Translation. I, I expected to love it. Um, it. It did not disappoint uh, this a huge Sofia Coppola fan. So um, Katie, thank you so much um, for jumping on with us today. Um, do you have anything to plug that you want to talk about before, uh, before we sign off? Um, not too much. You can find my reviews at Katie at the movies.com. And that's kind of about it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to mention about lost in translation though. Okay. Do you know anything about sort of like uh, Sophia's inspiration for the project and like what she was pulling from from her uh, father. Okay, no. I need to mention this yeah. really quick because I love it. Um, so, f- of course, her dad is Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. um, and in the early '80s, I think it was like 1980, um, he went to Japan and did a commercial for Suntory whiskey, which is the whiskey that um, oh, Bob Harris in this movie is in Japan filming commercials for. Right. Um, the reason that he did this was because he was helping out his good old buddy, Akira Kurosawa. Oh, um, wow. Because Kurosawa at the time, he was really like financially struggling and really um, having a hard time getting financing for his films. And he was trying to um, make this uh, sort of like epic adventure movie um, called Kajamusha. So uh, Francis and his BFF, George Lucas, they went to, they got 20th Century Fox to invest in it. Um, And then also along with that, um, he went to Japan with Kurosawa to film this commercial because of course they were going to get paid for the commercial. And the commercial, it's actually really great. It's not this sort of like hokey thing that um, Bill Murray's character is doing in the movie. (laughs) It brings in like um, footage of, Francis and Kurosawa on the set of Kajimusha and then it cuts to them like sitting at a table with their glasses of whiskey and they're like going over film stills it's just like guys being dudes you know and the narrator (laughs) it is and the narrator is like the world's gaze is fixed on these men right now is on no one else there is no stronger friendship than between these two men Oh, and it's just man. a really like cool artifact. And I love that. I mean, Sophia would have been like a pretty little kid when that happened, like maybe nine or 10 years old. And I love that she had some sort of memory of that and kind of pulled that for a major aspect of this movie. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. I've, I had a similar experience, uh, not, uh, I was watching a uh, Paul Schrader's, um, uh, Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, and at oh, the okay. end, that was released in 85, so well before Lost Translation, but that pops up, it says produced by George Lucas, so yeah. there's just uh, a lot of Japanese, obviously Paul Schrader's not Japanese, but he made a, 
uh, Japanese movie um, being championed by the likes of George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola, apparently, which obviously for George Lucas, no surprise that he was a Kurosawa fan. Um, I mean, yeah. that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I, I love stories like that, like the yeah. random, uh, the classic, like, man, we used to be a country type of mentality of just like, <laughs> look at American cinema championing yeah. international <laughs> cinema. And uh, God, I can't believe, how does Kurosawa come on hard times? That just is wild that yeah, a director it's... of his status could even get to a point like that. Yeah, it's a bummer. And then that movie that he made ended up uh, tying, I, it tied with all that jazz actually for the Palm Dora mm-hmm. can. And uh, oh, again, wow. Sophia has very often cited all that jazz as a huge inspiration for her, especially for Marie Antoinette. So the way that mm-hmm. all just kind of like came together is kind of wild. Yeah, two great movies and uh, uh, yeah, great influences to have for your rest of your clear yeah. career. Um, yeah. yeah, thank you so much, Katie. Um, Again, we are uh, Do Like Apples. We have a newsletter every Friday. So go to Substack and subscribe to that. We are on Instagram and X at you like underscore apples. And uh, we have one more. Uh, we have finished all of our recording for this month, except for uh, uh, Ridley Scott's Legend, which is our last movie that we're doing with uh, Kenny Ashton of The Sin of Boys. So four high quality movies that Drew or I haven't seen finished off with Ridley Scott's maybe most forgotten movie, in legend so we're, we're really excited to talk about that and see if uh, what what value it has so yeah thanks katie um we'll definitely be having you on again yeah thanks for having me do you like apples do you like apples